Thank you. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Jim Cunningham. Question number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, April marks 50 years since the launch of our longest sustained military operation, Operation Relentlessness, the beginning of our continuous at-sea deterrence. I am sure all members from all sides of the House will want to join me in paying tribute to all the generations of Royal Navy submariners, their families, their families who sacrificed so much, and all those involved in protecting our nation. Mr Speaker, tomorrow marks 70 years since the founding of NATO. Let me assure the House that under this Government, the United Kingdom will continue to play our leading role in NATO as it continues its mission of keeping nearly one billion people safe. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Jim Cunningham. Thank you very much. Can I assure the Prime Minister I'm not going to raise Brexit. That will be raised later on. But I'm also going to raise another very important issue. Consultants and doctors in my constituency at the University Hospital have raised the issue regarding the NHS pension scheme tapered annual allowance for doctors and consultants. The consequences are doctors retiring early, turning down additional shifts, fear of paying high tax bills to the government's annual allowance taper, resulting in longer waiting times for patients, shortage of doctors and consultants. Will she raise this with the Chancellor as soon as possible and get inform me regarding her answer? Yes. Prime Minister. I'm, I'm aware of the issue that he has raised, and in fact, the Chancellor of the Treasury are already in discussion with the Department of Health and Social Care on this very issue. He will have noticed the Chancellor is uh, on the bench and has heard the point that he has raised, and I'll make sure that what comes out of those discussions is, uh, is uh, that we can uh, confirm that to the Honourable Gentleman. Sir David Amis. Party loyalties being severely tested. Is my right honourable friend aware that as the country and the world ponders if Brexit means Brexit and if we are going to make a success of it, Southend-on-Sea has been welcoming ambassadors from all over the world to work in partnership and investment looking at our pier and building a new marina. So will my right honourable friend consider bringing forward a meaningful vote for which I believe there is a majority in the House that Southend-on-Sea be declared a city? I should just say congratulations to my honourable friend for uh, so cleverly working in the claim of Southend uh, to become a city. But can I also say to him how important it is, as he says, that we see that investment coming into our country. Uh, the benefits and the opportunities when we have got over this stage, when we've delivered Brexit, for building that better Britain, for building that better future, including in Southend-on-Sea, uh, will, be, will be there. It's for all of us to ensure that we can get over this stage, get a deal through, get to, to Brexit, deliver on Brexit, build that better future, of which I'm sure South End will be a leading part. And Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join with the Prime Minister in wishing the people of South End well, and I hope it does become a city. 
that okay? <laughs> Mr. Speaker, I welcome the Prime Minister's offer for talks following the meetings that I've held with members across this House and look forward to meeting her later today. And I welcome her willingness to compromise to resolve the Brexit deadlock. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, when, when the Prime Minister began her Premiership, she promised to resolve the burning injustices facing this country. So can she explain why, by the government's own official figures, poverty has risen for all ages under her administration? Minister. No one in government wants to see poverty rising, and we take the very seriously indeed. But as I've said, as I've said previously to the right honourable gentleman, the only sustainable way to tackle poverty is with a strong economy and a welfare system that helps people into work. And that's why it's important that we have the lowest unemployment since the 1970s, that we have the number of homes where no one works is at a record low. But we also need to make sure that work pays. And if I just give the right honourable gentleman some figures, in 2010, under Labour government, someone working full-time on the national minimum wage would have taken home £9,200 after tax and national insurance. Now, thanks to our tax cuts and the biggest increase in the national living wage, they will take home over £13,700. That's £4,500 more under a Conservative government. Mr. Mr Speaker, official figures show that since 2010, child poverty has increased by half a million, working age poverty by 200,000 and pensioner poverty by 400,000. And while she's right to mention the national minimum wage, something her party strongly opposed the introduction of, I, I think we should just be aware of what the national minimum wage actually means. It's 8.21. For over 25s, it's um, 8.21. For 21 to 24-year-olds, it's only £7.70. And for apprentices, it's just £3.90 an hour. These are poverty wages. Mr Speaker, there are now 8 million people in this country in work and in poverty. Many on middle incomes are struggling to make ends meet. Universal credit is failing. Will the Prime Minister at the least today, halt the rollout of universal credit and agree to a thorough review of it. Prime Minister. As the Right Honourable Gentleman knows, as we've been rolling out universal credit, we have been making changes to it. We changed one of the, one of the early measures that we took when I became Prime Minister was to uh, change the taper rate. We have since uh, uh, abolished the seven-day waiting. We have uh, ensured that we've taken action to uh, make it easier for those who are transferring onto universal credit in relation to their housing benefit. Uh, but crucially, can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, there is only one way to ensure that we see a sustainable, uh, sustainably deal with the issue of poverty. That is to ensure. Well, no. Oh, I'll come on to that, as the honourable gentleman has shouted that. That is to ensure that we have a strong economy, a strong economy that delivers jobs and better jobs for people, and that they can keep more of the money that they earn. And what do we know would happen? Well, from behind him, from a sedentary position, one of his honourable friends says the answer is a Labour government. A Labour government that would, that would spend £1,000 billion more than this uh, than, than, uh, has been proposed. A Labour government that would put up taxes. A Labour government... A Labour, a Labour Party that has opposed tax cut after tax cut. That's how you help live, uh, working people. Tax cuts keep people in work, better jobs, high employment. That's under the Conservatives. Jeremy Corbyn. 
I'm speaking for a government that rolled out austerity and has caused such poverty across the country. She really ought to think for a moment what, about what she's just said. The last Labour government halved child poverty. The last Labour government brought in children's centres, brought in Sure Start. The last Labour government reduced poverty across the whole country. She seems to be ignoring the true impact of universal credit. The Trussell Trust says that in areas where universal credit has been rolled out, food bank use has increased by over 50%. This week we also learned that another 400,000 pensioners are in poverty compared to 2010. So why is the Prime Minister pressing ahead with cuts to pension credit for couples where one is a pension age and the other is not? Prime Minister! I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, it is under a Conservative government that we've seen the triple lock on uh, pensions that has provided that has provided increases good increases for pensioners year after year it is under this conservative government that we have seen the introduction of the new uh, pension arrangements for uh, for individuals who are pensioners and let's just remember Let's just remember what we saw under a Labour government. It's not under a Conservative government that we saw a 75p rise in pensions. It was under Labour. Jeremy Corbyn. Last Labour government lifted two million pensioners out of poverty. This government's put 400,000 more into poverty. And Age UK, who I think know a thing or two about this, says that this proposal by the government is a substantial stealth cut. This year, 15,000 pensioner households could be up to 7,000 per year worse off as a result of this stealth cut. And I'm pleased the Prime Minister mentioned the triple lock because at the last general election, the government alarmed older people by pledging to scrap the triple lock and the means-tested winter fuel allowance. Can the Prime Minister give an unequivocal commitment? This is no longer government policy and it won't be in the next Tory manifesto. <laughs> Prime Minister! Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, uh, the, we have given our commitments to pensioners. We are clear we are keeping those commitments to pensioners. What we've seen, what we've seen under Conservatives in government is the basic state pension rise by over £1,450 a year. That is in direct contrast to what a Labour government did for our pensioners. We want people to be able, we want people to be able to live in dignity in their old age, and that's what this Conservative government is delivering. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr. Speaker, I'm sure the whole generation of WASPy women will be pretty alarmed at the lack of action by this government and the lack of justice for them. Additionally, Mr. Speaker, over a million over 75s currently receive a free TV licence, a scheme established by the last Labour government. This government transferred the scheme to the BBC without guaranteeing its funding. Will the government take responsibility and guarantee free TV licences for the over 75s? BBC to do, and frankly, I think the BBC is in a position to be able to do that with the income that they receive. Jeremy Corbyn, Speaker, the last Labour government guaranteed free TV licences for the over 75s. This government appears to be outsourcing that policy to the BBC. I think it should be an item of public policy, not sent to somebody else to administer on behalf of the government. Mr. Speaker, the last Labour government 
lifted two million pensioners out of poverty. Two million children were lifted out of absolute poverty and homelessness was cut in half. Contrast that with this government which has put half a million more children into poverty, 400,000 more pensioners into poverty and doubled homelessness. This, by this government, is a political choice. There is nothing inevitable about rising poverty, homelessness and soaring food bank use in the fifth richest country on earth. So yes, let's work to try and resolve the Brexit deadlock. But, Mr Speaker, unless this government, unless this government tackles insecure work, low pay, rising pensioner poverty, her government, her government will be marked down for what it is, a failure in the eyes of the people of this country. Prime Minister! First of all, say to the right honourable gentleman, uh, he quoted the last Labour government. I didn't realise he was such a fan of the last Labour government. <laughs> he, seemed, he seemed to spend his entire time voting against it when he uh, had a Labour government. But let's, let's just talk about what is happening under this government. Record rate of employment, wages growing at their fastest for a decade, debt falling, a long-term plan for the NHS, the biggest cash boost in the NHS's history, skills-based immigration system, more money for police, for local councils, for schools, the biggest, the biggest upgrade in workers' rights for over 20 years, freeing councils to build more homes, world-class public services, better... Order! Mr Russell Moyle. You are behaving in a truly delinquent fashion. Calm yourself, young man. I had to have words with you yesterday. You're a bit over-eager. It's not the sort of thing I would ever have done as a backbencher. The Prime Minister. World-class, world-class public services, better jobs, more homes, a stronger economy, Conservatives delivering on the things that matter. Dame Cheryl Gillan. Mr Speaker, as this week is World Autism Awareness Week, can I ask my right honourable friend to encourage all government departments to follow the examples being set by the MOJ, DWP and Department of Health, who are taking initiatives to improve their engagement with people who have autism and their families? Can I also ask her to endorse the Autism Awareness Training Course for members of Parliament being offered through the All-Party Parliamentary Group and the National Autistic Society, which will be held in this House on the 1st of May. As we celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Autism Act, it would be good to see every MP go through this training course to better help their constituents. Prime Minister. Well, first of all, uh, can I pay tribute to my right honourable friend for the work that she did to bring in the uh, Autism Act. It was very important. It was groundbreaking. It was the first piece of parliamentary legislation to be linked to the condition of autism. And I'd also like to thank my right honourable friend and the members of the APPG for their work on this important issue, including uh, highlighting awareness, awareness Week, but also for ensuring that that autism training is available for members of Parliament. And I hope, as she says, that members across this House do take that up. Uh, we are reviewing our autism strategy to ensure it remains fit for purpose, because we want to know what's working and where we need to push harder to transform our approach. So we will be continuing to look at this issue. My right honourable friend rightly highlighted it in the work that she did on the Autism Act, and I welcome and congratulate her on the work that she continues to do on this issue. Yeah. Rian Blackford. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It is well known that the SNP supports a people's vote and have supported revocation. 
But all the way through this process, right back to 2016, the SNP and the Scottish Government have sought compromise. We have published document after document Scotland's place in Europe. We know that Michel Barnier has read it. He said it's an interesting document. Why does the why does the Prime Minister continue to ignore Scotland's voices? Why she has restricted herself to inviting the Leader of the Opposition? Why has she not invited the Scottish Government and the Welsh Government into formal talks? Why is it that Scotland's voices are being ignored by this Prime Minister and this Government? Prime Minister! Well, gentlemen, I'm actually meeting the First Minister of Scotland later today and we'll be talking with her about the I don't know what General asked the question. The Prime Minister is answering it. Let us hear fully and courteously the answer. The Prime Minister. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As I say, I'm meeting the First Minister of Scotland today. I'm meeting the First Minister of Wales later today. But the Right Honourable Gentleman says, why had I offered to meet with the Leader of the Opposition? I'm happy to meet with members across this House uh, to discuss the Brexit issue. But I think I'm right in saying that the Leader of the Opposition and I both want to ensure that we leave the European Union with a deal. Whereas, of course, the Right Honourable Gentleman, as he's just said, uh, has a policy of revoking Article 50. That means not leaving the European Union at all. Blackford. Mr Speaker, what I did ask about was formal talks. I'm well aware that my friend and colleague is meeting with the Prime Minister this afternoon. But I will say this. I will say this to the Prime Minister. Uh, order. And, uh, members are becoming very overexcited. Very overexcited. The Right Honourable Gentleman has a right to be heard and he will be heard. Mr Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and let me make it clear that the voices of Scotland will not be shouted down by Conservatives in this House. The important factor here, Prime Minister, is you're having formal talks with the Leader of the Opposition. Scotland will not accept a Tory or a Labour Brexit. Scotland voted to remain in the European Union, and we simply will not be dragged out against our will. Will the Prime Minister now engage in formal talks? with the Scottish Government, with the Scottish National Party and other opposition parties to make sure our voices are heard. And that desire to stay in the European Union, the best deal for all of us, is listened to and is respected. As he knows, because he and I have met before and talked about these issues, as I have done with other party leaders across this House, I'm always happy to meet party leaders across uh, this House. I want to find a way forward. I want to find a way forward that delivers on the referendum, that delivers Brexit, and does it as soon as possible, that does it in a way which means we don't have to uh, fight the European parliamentary elections, and does it in an orderly way for this country. And he talks about voices from Scotland. I can assure him there are indeed strong voices for Scotland in this House. House, they sit on the Conservative benches. Nigel Adams! Mr Nigel Adams! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I urge, can I urge my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, can I urge her, on behalf of all the people of Selby, to put her weight behind the campaign for step-free access for Stelby Railway Station. I'm sorry to disappoint colleagues with my line of... Uh, 
This is very important, Mr. Speaker, for the people of Selby. It is totally unacceptable that in this day and age, those that are unable to walk upstairs, people with disabilities, are denied access to public transport. And the people of Selby demand action. First of all, first of all, can I thank my honourable friend? Can I thank my honourable friend for his service as a government minister since 2017? He's worked extremely hard, serving as both a Wales office minister and a government whip simultaneously. And I'm sorry uh, that he has resigned. But can I also thank him for raising the important issue of access at public transport and particularly at stations for people with disabilities. He has been, he asked me to add my weight. I have to say to my honourable friend, his considerable weight has been behind this campaign for a long time. And, uh, <laughs> as a campaigner, he has been promoting this. The Prime Minister is referring to the Honourable Gentleman's qualities as a campaigner. That's what she was saying. She wasn't looking at him when she said it. She was <laughs> saying it on the basis of her knowledge of the Honourable Gentleman. The Prime Minister. As I say, Mr Speaker, I know that my Honourable Friend has been campaigning on this issue and campaigning hard on it for some time. And can I just say to him that I understand that the Department for Transport will be announcing the stations that are going to benefit from this funding tomorrow. So if he could just have a little patience and uh, wait for that announcement. Uh, Owen Smith. Mr Speaker, when the Prime Minister sits down later this afternoon with my right Honourable Friend, the Leader of the Opposition, and the Shadow Brexit Secretary. She will hear, no doubt, that Labour's policy on Brexit is to secure membership of a customs union, the single market, and, crucially, to get a people's vote on any deal. If she accepts that compromise, she can pass her deal and leave office. Will she do so? Prime Minister! Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that the purpose of meeting with the Leader of the Opposition today is indeed to look at those areas that we, can, we agree on. I think there are actually a number of areas that we agree on in relation to Brexit. I think we both want to deliver uh, leaving the EU with a deal. I think we both want, we both want to uh, protect jobs. I think we both want to ensure uh, that we end free movement. I think we both recognise the importance of the withdrawal agreement. Uh, what we want to do now is to find a way forward that can command the support of this House and deliver on Brexit, deliver on the result of the referendum, and ensure that people can continue to have trust in their politicians at doing what they ask us to do. Suella Braverman. Robert Small and David West were two young men from the Fareham area with their whole lives ahead of them. While suffering with mental health problems and under the care of Southern Health, they tragically took their own lives. Few can imagine the grief endured by their families, but they have since been campaigning for change at Southern Health, which has struggled with systemic issues and problems for some years. Will my right honourable friend reassure me that the government will work with Hampshire MPs and myself so that we can secure vital changes at Southern Health so that tragedies like this may be avoided. Can I thank the Minister for raising this very important issue and may I say that I would like to extend my deepest sympathies to the families and friends of the Honourable Lady's constituents who she's referred to in her question. This is an important issue. These incidents are very concerning. It is right, I understand the Local Trust and the County Council have pledged to work more closely to resolve issues, but we do want to ensure that we are transforming mental health services around the country and we remain absolutely committed to that. 
And of course, we are providing record investment for these services. Um, we have an ambitious plan in relation to increasing the workforce and ensuring that we're dealing with these, uh, with these issues. But I can reassure my honourable friend that action will be taken to uh, ensure that we can prevent incidents of this sort from happening in the future. These were terrible incidents, and our sympathies are with the family and friends of the victims. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This afternoon, there is a reception in Parliament to honour the 51 Muslims killed in Christchurch. In the wake of this horrific terror attack, mosques were targeted in Birmingham and Newcastle. There is a global rise in Islamophobia, including in the ranks of the Tory party. In an article for this the Times this week, their chairman could not even utter the word Islamophobia. How can they deal with a problem they can't even name? I asked the Prime Minister for the third time, when will the Conservative Party conduct an inquiry and adopt the APPG definition of Islamophobia? Prime Minister! Gentlemen, as I believe I have said to him before, when allegations, are, when any allegations are made, allegations of Islamophobia, allegations of uh, complaints are made about Conservatives, elected Conservatives, people in the Conservative Party that are made to the Conservative Party, we look at those. We look at those very seriously, and action is taken in relation to the individuals. He referred, he referred to the attacks that have taken place against mosques. I absolutely condemn attacks that take, uh, take place against mosques and against any place of worship. I'm pleased to say that my right hon. Friend, the Home Secretary, has increased the funding that is available to support places of worship to protect them from uh, uh, attacks that take place. This has no place in our society, and we should all be working to ensure that people can go to their place of worship and can, and can feel that they are safe and secure in this country. Mr David Jones. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does it remain the position of the Prime Minister that the Leader of the Opposition is not fit to govern? Prime Minister! Yes, I, think, I, I hope my right honourable friend will have heard from the uh, remarks I made about what I think a Labour government would do in relation to the economy, that uh, I do not think that the Labour Party should be in government. It is the Conservatives that are delivering for people. And, uh, and the right honourable gentleman, the right honourable gentleman, the Leader of the Opposition and, and I, have different, have different opinions on a number of issues. Uh, and if I may just uh, highlight one, just highlight one issue. When we, suffered, when we suffered a chemical weapons attack on the streets of Salisbury in this country, it was me as Prime Minister, this Government, that stood up against the perpetrators of that attack. The Right Honourable Gentleman said he preferred to believe Vladimir Putin than our own security agencies. That is not the place of somebody who should be Prime Minister. Jonathan Edwards. Mr Speaker, the British Government is in meltdown. Westminster is completely dysfunctional and this morning the Wales office lost its fourth minister in a year. Who could possibly say that Westminster works for Wales? 
Minister. The uh, honourable gentleman, if you look at the funding that's been made available to Wales from uh, this Westminster government, but he, he, he talks about he talks about the government of Wales. There are indeed issues that I think we should be focusing on. I mean, let's just look at the National Health Service in Wales under a Labour under a Labour government. Yes, they point in that direction. Absolutely, they point in that direction. That's what we see where Labour are in office, a National Health Service that, for example, hasn't met its A&E target for over a decade. Dr Philip Lee. Polling that has just been published, over 58% of the British public have expressed a wish to have a final say on the Brexit process. Does the Prime Minister acknowledge that with the ongoing impasse here at Westminster around Brexit, and despite her best endeavours to pass her deal, and indeed the ongoing endeavours of this House to find a compromise, that the British public are right to increasingly think that they should have a final say before proceeding with Brexit. Yeah. Minister. Can I say to my honourable friend, and I know how passionately he's campaigned on this issue for some time now, he refers to uh, the deal that the government's put forward having been rejected. Of course, the Leader of the Opposition's deal has been rejected by this House. A second referendum has been rejected by this House. What I believe we should be doing is delivering on the result of the first referendum that took place, and that's why I will be sitting down with the Leader of the Opposition later today. Mr Speaker, my constituent Georgia Stokes has two children with autism who have been unable to get the support they need and are therefore not at school because of incorrect diagnosis. Every child with autism is unique and this is why awareness raising and education about autism is vital. 34% of children on the autism spectrum say that the worst thing about being at school is being picked on. The world, this, this World Autism Awareness Week, will the Prime Minister commit to speeding up the time between referral for autism and diagnosis, and will she promise to fund mandatory training for healthcare professionals so that parents like Georgia aren't left to fend for themselves? Yeah. Well, the, the Honourable Lady has raised, again raised this important issue for autism, and I'm sure that as uh, constituency MPs we all see cases uh, where parents have found it very difficult to get the support for their uh, children in relation to, uh, for their children who are on the autistic spectrum spectrum and it is important that we ensure there is that awareness of this and the ability to uh, to deal with this issue so she's raised an important issue as I said in response to my right honourable friend the member for Chesham and Amersham we are uh, looking again at our autism strategy because we want to ensure that we have got in place all we need to ensure that the support is there for those with autism Lee Rowley Thank you Mr Speaker last week in this chamber the Prime Minister said the biggest threat to our standing in the world to our defence and to our economy is the Leader of the Opposition. In her judgment, what now qualifies him for involvement in Brexit? Prime Minister! Can I, can I, can I say, can I just say to, can I say to my honourable friend, can I say to my honourable friend, every member of this House is involved in Brexit. I want to deliver Brexit. I want to deliver Brexit in an orderly way. I want to do it as soon as possible. I want to do it without us having to fight European parliamentary elections. To do that, we need to get an agreement through this House for the withdrawal agreement and, the, uh, and a deal. Uh, and it is important. The House has rejected every proposal that has gone before it so far, as I've just indicated, in terms of uh, various proposals and a second referendum and revoking Article 50. So I believe what the public want 
is for us to work across this House to find a solution that delivers on Brexit, delivers on the referendum, and gives people uh, their faith that politicians have done what they asked and have actually delivered for them. Stuart Hazy. After two years of Brexit deadlock, intransigence, and a seven-hour cabinet meeting, the best the Prime Minister can do is invite the leader of the British Labour Party to become the co-owner of her Brexit failure. So let me ask her, had she been the leader of the opposition and invited into a trap like this, would she have been foolish enough to accept? The Prime Minister! Across, Across this House, I believe we all have a responsibility to ensure that we deliver Brexit. Across this House, we all have a responsibility to ensure that we do that as soon as possible and that we deliver Brexit in an orderly way. And I think it is entirely right. I think members of the public, members of the public expect us to reach out across this House to find a way through this. They want a solution. The country needs a solution. The country deserves a solution. And that's what I'm working to find. Vicky Ford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In the past fortnight, there have been two incidents involving knife crime in my city of Chelmsford and my constituents are extremely concerned. Can my right hon. Friend, the Prime Minister, give us an update on this week's knife crime summit? Prime Minister! Can I say to my hon. Friend, she raises a very important issue and uh, our thoughts are with the family and friends of uh, uh, her constituents. It was a very important summit that we held on uh, on Monday. I was pleased to bring people from police, government, uh, across government departments, uh, community groups, justice uh, and uh, healthcare and a whole wide range of activities together to recognise the importance of taking this holistic, collective uh, approach to dealing with knife crime. We will be consulting on a public health uh, statutory duty to deal with this as a public health issue. I think that's the important way to do it, to ensure that everybody is playing their part in dealing with knife crime. I was also able to meet, after the summit, I was able to meet with the families, uh, who, a number of families who had lost children, uh, and I say children because these were teenagers as a result of serious violence, knife crime and a shooting. And the horror and the devastation of these attacks is brought home when you sit down and listen to the families who have seen a young life, promising young lives, cut short in this tragic way. We are committed as a government, across government, to work not just across government, but with society as a whole to deal with the scourge of serious violence that is taking so many young lives. Pollard! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Back in June last year, I asked the Prime Minister to help fund the recycling of the 20 old nuclear submarines tied up and rotting in Devonport and Rosyth. Today's NAO report shows that MOD has no funded plan to do this work and no submarines have been dismantled since 1980. That was the year I was born. Will the Prime Minister now extend the civil nuclear cleanup to make sure that it includes all the Royal Navy submarines so we can deal with this and make that part of her legacy in office? Yeah. Prime Minister. Gentlemen, we do remain committed to the safe, secure and cost-effective 
defuelling and dismantling of our nuclear submarines as soon as is practically possible, and the MOD continues to act as a responsible nuclear operator by maintaining its decommissioned nuclear submarines to meet necessary safety and security standards. And I think its commitment is illustrated by the recent success in the initial dismantling of the submarine Swiftshore which has been followed immediately by the initial dismantling of resolution. So the MOD will continue to work with the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority to achieve steady state disposal of our laid-up submarines as soon as possible. We are working on this. The Labour government had 13 years as well. And what work did it do during those 13 years on this decommissioning issue? Dr Julian Lewis. Order. I is a Conservative Prime Minister who repeatedly told us that no deal is better than a bad deal, now approaching Labour MPs to block a WTO Brexit when most Conservative MPs want us to leave the European Union with a clean break in nine days' time. Prime Minister! Can I say to my honourable friend, I've always, I was absolutely right, no deal is better than a bad deal, but we've got a good deal. Yeah. And, and I want, we had a chance last Friday to ensure that we would leave the European Union on the 22nd of May, and I'm grateful to all those colleagues who supported that, uh, that motion. Some of them, I know, did it with a very heavy heart. But I want to ensure that we deliver Brexit. I want to ensure that we do it in an orderly way, as soon as possible, without fighting European elections. But to do that, we need to find a way of this House agreeing the withdrawal agreement and agreeing, uh, the, uh, and agreeing the way forward. And that is on that basis that I have been sitting down with members across the House and will continue to do so in order to ensure that we can find a way forward that this House can support. Martin Whitfield. I'm grateful, Mr Speaker. Grace Warnock is a young East Lothian constituent of mine who has Crohn's disease. Using accessible toilets, she's faced negative comments and abuse from adults. But this inspired her to create Grace's sign to remind everyone that there are people with invisible disabilities who have every right to use accessible toilet facilities and that society should have a heart. Will the Prime Minister join me in endorsing Grace's campaign to standardise toilet signage to ensure that anyone, anybody with a disability, feels able to use accessible toilets without abuse? Prime Minister! Honourable gentleman, can I commend Grace for the work that she's been doing on this issue? Sadly, coming out of her own personal experience, I think he's raised a very important issue. We do want to make sure that those, with those people with those invisible disabilities are able to access public toilets and do so in a way that does not lead to the abuse that sadly uh, Grace suffered. And uh, I fully recognise the campaign that she's, uh, that she's fighting, and I think it's an excellent campaign. Dr. Caroline Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. People of Sleaford and North Highcombe, like myself, like the country, voted for Brexit and want to see it delivered. I understand the Prime Minister says that we have to look at the balance of risk. Indeed, I've looked at the balance of risk myself and supported her deal, and I urge others in our party to do so. But, Prime Minister, if it comes to the point when we have to balance the risk of a no-deal Brexit versus the risk of letting down the country and ushering in a Marxist anti-Semite-led government, what does she think at that point? is the lowest risk. Prime Minister! 
Can I, can I say to my honourable friend, first of all, can I thank her for the support that she's shown for the, uh, for the government's deal and for the encouragement she is giving to others to, uh, to support that deal. Uh, what I want to see is that we are able to deliver on her, for her constituents and for others across the country, that we, as I say, deliver Brexit and do it as soon as possible. And uh, in delivering Brexit, we need to ensure that we are delivering on the result of the referendum. That's what I said yesterday, and that's, that's what we will be looking to do. Jim Shannon! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, the Prime Minister stated last night that she will meet the Leader of the Opposition. Uh, can the Prime Minister indicate for the benefit of my party, the Democratic Unionist Party, but also for all members of this House, which of the Opposition Leader's Brexit policies does she think that she could accept? <laughs> Well, can I say, first of all, I'm going, to I'm going to be in discussion with the Leader of the Opposition, but I think, as I indicated earlier, I think the Leader of the Opposition and I both want to deliver, deliver leaving the EU. I think we both want to deliver that with a deal. I think we both agree that the uh, withdrawal agreement should be part of, is a part of any deal. I think we both agree that we want to protect jobs, that we want to ensure that we have high standards of workers' rights in doing that. I think there are a number of areas on which we agree. The question is, uh, can we come to an agreement uh, that we can both support, that would support, uh, command the support of this House? And that's what the talks will be about. Sir Henry Bellingham. Yeah. Mr Speaker. Seventy years after the founding of NATO, will she find time today to look at the situation regarding Northern Ireland veterans, some of whom are being arrested and charged with murder nearly 50 years after the alleged events and where there is no new evidence? What signals does this send to youngsters looking to join the armed forces? And will she try and make solving this part of her legacy? Can I say to my honourable friend, I recognise the issue that he's raised that obviously has been, the concern has been shared by uh, honourable members, uh, our honourable and right honourable friends and others across the House. The current system for dealing with legacy in Northern Ireland, uh, of Northern Ireland's past, is not working well for anyone. As I've said previously in this chamber, around 3,500 people were killed in the Troubles and the vast majority were murdered by terrorists. And many of these cases require further investigation, including the deaths of hundreds of members of the security forces. So the system to investigate the past does need to change to provide better outcomes for victims and survivors of the Troubles and to ensure that our armed forces and police officers are not unfairly treated. The Ministry of Defence are looking at what more can be done to ensure service personnel aren't unfairly pursued through the courts in relation to uh, service overseas, including considering legislation, and we continue to look at how best to move forward in relation to these issues of the legacy in Northern Ireland. Even Doughty. Speaker, um, South Wales Police are doing a brilliant job in spite of pressures in Cardiff, South and Penarth, dealing with knife crime, drugs, domestic violence and so much more but they don't get capital city funding like other capitals, which makes the pressure worse. Will the Prime Minister look at this urgently again, and would she agree with me that we would be better off spending billions on our police instead of Brexit? Yeah. Minister. I say to the Honourable Gentleman, I understand that South Wales Police have been given extra funding in relation to dealing with knife crime. I think this is important that we deal with this, that we deal with this issue. He has uh, he's raised, I think it's also important that we actually raise Brexit, that we do deliver on the result of the referendum and that we uh, do what is necessary to ensure that we are prepared for leaving the European Union, which is exactly what the government is doing. But we are putting a focus on the issue of serious violence and uh, as witnessed by the Knife Crime Summit that we held el earlier this week. Sir Christopher Choke. Mr Speaker, in agreeing with the 14 members of the Cabinet who are happy for the United Kingdom to leave the European Union uh, next week, 
can I ask my right honourable friend if she will set out her vision for the benefits that will come to the United Kingdom of no deal? Prime Minister! I say to my right honourable friend, first of all, that he should not believe everything that he reads in the newspapers. The Cabinet came to a the Cabinet came to a collective decision yesterday. And secondly, I've always been clear that I think the, the opportunities for the United Kingdom outside the European Union are bright. I believe we can build that great Britain, that greater Britain, that brighter future for everybody. I believe we will do that better by leaving with a good deal. I believe we have a good deal. And that's why I have been working to ensure that we can leave, do so as soon as possible, do so in an orderly way and build that brighter future. Thank you. Mr Speaker, despite the repeated efforts of my honourable friend from Manchester Gorton and others calling upon the Prime Minister to adopt the All-Party Parliamentary Group on British Muslims' definition of Islamophobia, the Prime Minister refuses. Despite repeated calls for an independent inquiry into institutional racism and Islamophobia in the Tory party by the former Chair Baron Swarsi, the Muslim Council of Britain and their own Conservative Muslim Forum, the Prime Minister again refuses. Mr Speaker, the London Mayor, Sadiq Khan, just a few days ago said, I have never received an explanation, let alone an apology for the openly Islamophobic campaign the party ran against me in London 2016 and that the attacks on me still continue. Can I ask the Prime Minister directly today, will she now show some leadership, at the very minimum, apologise to London Mayor Sadiq Khan for the Islamophobic campaign led by her party? I say to the Honourable Ladies, I said in response to her Honourable Friend earlier, any allegations that are made uh, in relation to the Conservative Party are investigated carefully by the Conservative Party and action and action is taken. And it is this Government that has actually been doing more to ensure that the police can deal with issues around hate crime uh, that has been has required when I was Home Secretary when I was Home Secretary I uh, required the police to actually ensure that they were recording properly incidents of hate crime that took place uh, according to uh, so that we could better identify uh, Islamophobia that was taking place and I'm pleased to say that my right honourable friends the Community Secretary and the Home Secretary recently chaired a roundtable on anti-Muslim hate crime this is being taken seriously by the Conservative Party and by the Government. Yeah. Nikki Morgan Thank you very much yeah. indeed, Mr. Speaker. I think it's worth everyone in this place remembering that for people outside, there is far, far more to life than Brexit, yeah. as illustrated by many of the questions today. Now, in Loughborough, we're very proud of Loughborough University being the best university in the world for sports-related subjects. Yeah, but yeah. one of the group of athletes that have been much undersung in recent weeks is our Team GB athletes who took part in the Special Olympics yeah. in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 127 athletes returned with 169 medals, over 60 gold. Will the Prime Minister congratulate them, and does she think it might be time for the GB to host the next Special Olympics? Well, I look very carefully at the suggestion that my right honourable friend has made in relation to the Special Olympics, but I'm very happy to join her, and I'm sure everybody across this whole house will, in congratulating our GB team on the significant haul of medals that they brought back from those Special Olympics. And can I also say how much we value the Loughborough University and the work it does on sports-related matters? Erin Smith. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Head teachers and governors in my constituency have cut school budgets to the bones. They're desperately concerned about the impact now on children. The Prime Minister 
Boris's own advisers have been sent into schools and as reported by Schools Week, their ideas are truly shocking. Reducing lunch portions for some of the most disadvantaged, holding back money for charities, even employing unqualified teachers. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that these suggestions belong in the days of the workhouse, not 21st century England? Prime Minister! Honourable Lady knows that we are increasing the funding that is being made available to schools. 1.3 billion extra being made to schools and I'm sure the Honourable Lady I'm sure the Honourable Lady will want to welcome, as I do, that there are 22,500 more children in the Bristol Local Authority in good and outstanding schools since 2010. James Cleverly. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. And further to the question from my honourable friend, the member for Chelmsford, I thank the invitation that the Prime Minister extended to me for her Knife Crime Summit on Monday. But would she agree with me that whilst uh, numbers of police officers and powers of police officers are important, we also need to send a message to people who would never wear a T-shirt made in a sweatshop, look carefully at the air miles of the food that they buy, yet seem not to make the connection between the drug use that they have in their personal lives and the damage that's being done to young people in our streets. Will you send a message that is not acceptable? Prime Minister! My honourable friend raises a very important point. Uh, If we look at uh, knife crime, the extent to which that is gang-related, the extent to which it is drug-related, many people across our society need to ask themselves what they are doing to ensure that we can deal with this issue of knife crime. Uh, what they are doing to ensure that we don't see these drug-related gangs uh, committing these crimes and that we are able to rid our society of what I believe to be a curse of drugs. I believe it has these impacts. It's bad, and that's why it's important as a government we have a very clear drug strategy to take people off drugs to ensure that we are dealing with this issue. My honourable friend makes a very important point. It is not just a matter for government. It's not just a matter for police. It's for all of us across our society to deal with these issues. Kirsty Blackman. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, freedom of movement is a good thing. It's good economically. EU citizens exercising their free movement rights contribute to our GDP. It's good socially. Our communities are more diverse and they're more successful as a result. And it's good for our young people who can go to Europe to study and to work. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister be honest about the benefits of freedom of movement and ensure that we retain those benefits? Prime Minister! The Honourable Lady, what we want to ensure is that we have a migration system that enables us to welcome people into this country on the basis of the skills they will bring, the contribution they will make to this, uh, to this country, not on, the con- not on the country that they happen to come from. When we- people voted to leave the European Union in 2010, they sent a clear message that they wanted things to change. One of the things they wanted to change was to bring an end to free movement and to ensure that it is the UK Government that is able to make decisions about who can come to this country. Evans! Mr Speaker, as the Prime Minister seeks to get a short extension upon the short extension, um, will she make it absolutely clear to the European Union that if they turn around and say no, it has to be a long extension and you have to fight the European Union elections, that she will say no, no, no? Prime Minister! I say to my right honourable friend, we had... uh, We had the opportunity on Friday to ensure that we cemented uh, that extension to the 22nd of May and left on the 22nd of May. Um, As I've said earlier, I'm grateful to all those who supported that motion. As I said, some did that with some difficulty, with a a very heavy heart. Uh, But what I want to see now is us able to find a position where we can 
across this House support the withdrawal agreement and a deal which enables us to leave on the 22nd of May, which enables us not to have to hold those European parliamentary elections. But we can only do that if we come together and find a way forward that this House is willing to support. John Grogan. Given that the Prime Minister and I are both fans of Geoffrey Boycott, who was perhaps not best known for compromise in his prime, but like many of us, has mellowed with the years, and in the spirit of the times, will the Prime Minister find time in her busy diary to look at the compromise proposals for the important subject of Yorkshire devolution as advanced by the Mayor of South Yorkshire. The Prime Minister! I say to the Honourable Gentleman that we are looking seriously at issues around Yorkshire devolution. I know this has has caused some um, concern and there have been different opinions as to how that should should be taken forward. And he he references Geoffrey Boycott. Can I say one of the things that I always admired about Geoffrey Boycott was that he ensured that he stayed at the crease, he kept going and he got his century in the end. (laughs) Mr Kevin Olin-Ray. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And further to the last question, once the the Prime Minister has dealt with the rather tricky issue that is Brexit, which I'm sure she will, will will she move on to the much more difficult problem, which is devolution in Yorkshire? (laughs) Now that her Secretary of State has ruled out the devolution to the whole of Yorkshire, would she now consider a devolution deal to the York City region? to include the City of York and the glorious county of North Yorkshire. Prime Minister! We we recognise that there is, as I've just said, an enthusiasm, there's a a, a dedication in Yorkshire to the concept of devolution and to the ability and the potential that devolution has to release and harness local people's sense of identity with Yorkshire and to be of of ongoing uh, benefit to uh, people of Yorkshire. We do need to find the right uh, proposals that will... uh, suit the area and my right hon. friend the community secretary I believe has now met the Yorkshire leaders. Discussions are continuing with them about a different localist approach to devolution in, in Yorkshire from the one that did not meet our criteria, namely the one Yorkshire proposal. Sir Vincent Cable. Um, Mr Speaker, reports from the Cabinet yesterday suggest that there were two proposals put forward for cross-party cooperation to solve the Brexit crisis. Uh, One of them was to work with the Leader of the Opposition to deliver a Labour Brexit, and the other was to work with the 280 MPs across the House who will support her deal subject to a confirmatory referendum. Why does she trust the Leader of the Opposition more than the people? What I, what I want to do is ensure that we, find, that we find a resolution of this that the House can support such that we can deliver Brexit and deliver it uh, in a timely fashion. I believe it's important to do that as soon as possible and do it. I want to do it without us having to, uh, to fight those European elections. I believe it is absolutely right. The public would expect us to be willing to work across this chamber to find a resolution to this issue. McLean. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Conservative-led Redditch Borough Council have recently submitted their bid for the future High Streets Fund. So will the Prime Minister add her support to this bid because the people of Redditch deserve to have our town unlocked? And does she agree with me? It's only with Conservatives in our town hall that we can continue to unlock Redditch after years of Labour neglect. Well, can I, can I commend Conservatives, uh, uh, Conservative-led Redditch Council for the work that they're doing to unlock the town and to unlock the high street? Uh, my honourable friend uh, tempts me, tempts me 
to uh, support one bid over others, but there will be other of our honourable and right honourable friends who also wish, uh, would wish me to support the bids from their towns. It's important we've made this money available, and I congratulate Redditch Council under the Conservatives for all that they're doing to ensure the vitality of their town. Mr Nicholas Bowles. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, I find myself in the slightly curious position, sandwiched between the Liberal Democrats and the Welsh Nationalists. Uh, and if I may, I would like to reassure my constituents and honourable members uh, that I remain a progressive Conservative, while sadly an independent in this House. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's late conversion to compromise is welcome, but I'm sure that she will understand the scepticism of those of us who have been working on a cross-party compromise for many, many months. Can she reassure me that she will be entering these discussions with the Leader of the Opposition and other parties without the red lines that have bedevilled the Brexit negotiations so far? I say, but I say to uh, my, uh, the Honourable Gentleman, and uh, I welcome the fact that he has uh, indicated that he remains a progressive Conservative in yeah, his thinking yeah. on uh, various issues. I approach these in a constructive spirit because I want to find a resolution of this issue. I want to ensure that we can do what people told us we should do, which is deliver Brexit, do it in an orderly way, and do it in a way that's good for this country. Thank you. Order!